Pros. This is a conversation among friends working in international affairs. We share stories about our life in the real world, beyond the headlines, and look for lessons learned that can inspire us. If you're enjoying this podcast, there are a few ways you can help. Please click the follow button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and also consider visiting at thecoalface.buzzsprout.com and click on the support button and a shout out to our three current supporters. Thank you for helping covering our costs. In this episode, I speak with Jeffrey Fung. This is a bit of a different conversation today. Jeff is an accomplished investment professional from Singapore who decided to break away from the logical professional path of corporate promotions and step out to follow a path much more aligned to who he wanted to be and what his intuition was telling him. In this rather personal exchange, we explore how our upbringing and also our culture shaped our vision of what matters in life, chasing validation and achievements that are not always healthy, and then what it took to wake up to get in touch with ourselves. Hi, Jeff. Morning, Philip. <laughs> it's really amazing to be recording this episode face-to-face. And uh, we, we actually met uh, over 18 months ago to explore uh, an idea to record a podcast together at this Merci Marcel uh, cafe in, ah, in yes. Singapore. Mm. And uh, I, I was trying to think about what was going on in your life and in my life at that time. And it was kind of the, the early days of Singapore exiting COVID. There was still, still this uh, sense of wonder that we were able to, to meet in person. And then there were quite a lot of changes going on, both in your life and in, in mine. And it took us more than 18 months to, to reconvene and, 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 and do this. Do, do you recall how you felt at the time? What was going on? I do. I mean, what can I say? You are relentless. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it was, it, you know, we, we, it was just meant to be a quick coffee in the morning because, you know, you were introduced by a classmate and I thought, okay, you know, just have a coffee. And then I think it turned out to be nearly two hours of deep conversations and, and, you know, and you said, let's do a podcast and, and talk more. And, and I guess, you know, life got in the way. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was a little bit hesitant because I didn't think I had anything meaningful to say. You know, having looked at the rest of your guests, you know, like I said earlier, illustrious careers. Um, but I guess, you know, that's, that's, that's how life is. 18 months later, you know, we're back here. And, and I remember we had this conversation at the time about a bit what the purpose of this podcast was at all. And it, it has actually evolved quite a bit. It's called At The Call Face, which is this English expression to mean in the real world. Like um, you talk about somebody doing something at the call face. It's somebody who's engaging in real activity rather than writing about it or talking about it. And initially, the project was about opening a window into the interesting activities of our community, whether they're diplomats or NGO workers, journalists, business people. But it's evolved quite a bit where it's now a lot more into uh, opening a window into how we live our lives, actually. Like, what do we set out to do and how does life change us and where, where do we end up? And I re recall that our, our coffee started a little bit around this topic of, yes, but achievements, to focus on achievements. And I remember I, was, I noticed you, there was an element that was a bit uncomfortable about focusing on that. And then quickly we, we realized, actually, that's not, really the, the most interesting or important things about our lives. And we started to have this conversation about why do we set out in life so focused on achieving? And, and we ended up talking about philosophy and so many other things. And I, I felt there was um, qu quite a lot of resonance between what you were saying what, and, and what my own life experience was around the meaning of a good life, um, which is about education and, and titles and, and jobs. Mm. And it takes many decades before before we depart from that, uh, and I, I, that, that's what I took away from our, from our from our coffee back then. I'm I'm glad <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, you know the point about achievements. I, I I've often wondered is it an Asian complex where 
you know, on one hand, you you know, you you strive to do your best academically and 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 in career and whatnot. Um, but on the other hand, you also settled with this, you know, Asian modesty. You know, we don't put ourselves out there enough and talk about it. I, I think it's increasingly changing. I mean, the young people are no longer as reserved, you know, anecdotally. But I guess, you know, some of us are still uncomfortable talking too much about, you know, achievements because uh, one, perhaps we don't think they are achievements. Yeah. Or two, we don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. And it's to do with, well, I, I think it's to do a bit with, you know, culture, values, our education system, you know, whereas, you know, if you meet people, friends from, from you know, when I went to school in Fletcher and you meet, you meet friends that grew up in, in, in the States, you know, um, in Europe, um, it's very different. Um, but they, they're all comfortable talking about stuff. And then the Asian would try very hard to be, you know, articulate, but not too much, not too pushy, not too aggressive. Um, I, I, those were, I mean, I guess that's my own experience. And h- how were things when when you were growing up? Like, if if we if we try to, I'm always interested in 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 um, in these podcast episodes to to uh, get a sense of what life was like, what what, what was going on when you were. When you were growing up uh, here, here, here in Singapore, what what type of conversations were you having at the dinner table? I grew up in a, I guess, very normal family. Um, you know, I would describe it as you know, I suppose you know, my my lower middle income. My my dad was a shopkeeper for a while. Then he drove a taxi for twenty years. But the thing I remember about him is he always reads the newspapers. He's always reading about current affairs and 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 whatever's happening. And he, he, you know, when we were old enough, he would ask us about it or talk to us about it. And, and, and if you think about it, you know, why, why did a taxi driver need to read? I figured, okay, he could chat with his passengers. Maybe that's why. But I think he also tried, that's also his window, his connection to the world, because he didn't want to just have a job and, and that's the end of the story, right? I mean, he's not a, you know, he doesn't have many friends, you know, I think in the back in the day, it's very different. There were no Facebook, you know, and stuff like that. So, so people just focus on, on work, you know, uh, raising a family and so on. My mom was a homemaker, took care of me and my brother. So we were not wealthy at all. Grew up in a small little public housing apartment. Um, but my dad was always generous. And, and I guess that's another thing that, that well, hopefully rubbed off on me, he, he, you know, we weren't rich, but he would always buy dinners for extended families on the weekends, you know, go downstairs to the nice eatery and, and you know, have, have, in Singapore, we call it zicha, which, ah, is, yeah. which is basically your assorted dishes with rice, you know. Um, and then we look forward to that every Saturday or Sunday evening, you know, we go downstairs with extended family and do that. It, 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 I think it never occurred to me that we were not wealthy. So here's the interesting thing. Until I started going to school. Uh, you know, so and and I went to a very good school, a very privileged school, um, with very wealthy classmates, and I think that that kind of marked, you know, a turning point, you know, in my growing up years, right? I mean, when you were a kid staying at home with your parents, you don't think too much about society and and things like that. You know, it was a very lovely family. I never felt that I lacked anything. Um, and then when we started going to school, it was great because I experienced what, you know. Others experience as well, you know, wealthier. I mean, I hate to go back to the notion of wealth, but, you know, that that was a very, that's a very interesting marker for me because, you know, you realize, wow, you know, there's, a, there's someone fetching you from school. It's a chauffeur-driven car. And I had my first taste of expensive steaks, you know, expensive cafes and hotels, my first visit to a country club, you know, all these things happened because of the friends I made in school. And there I was, you know, a young boy, you know, from a not wealthy family, mixing with all these other people, stayovers in, in beautiful houses. And I think that 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 sort of affected my mindset about, okay, um, you know, there's, there's, there, there are things like that out there where you could achieve too, right? So achievement, obviously, that's academic, but that's also very material stuff. But it also reminded me that, okay, you know, I, my dad doesn't have that money. Is, is that, I mean, I, 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 I say it as a statement of fact, you know, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just the way it is. The school going years for me were very formative because if had I not gone to school and met these other people with parents who were business owners and, and CEOs, uh, had I gone to an environment where, you know, perhaps everyone was more or less the same, uh, I think my outlook would be different. Uh, my path might have been different. The things I aspired towards might have been different. For our listeners who are not from Singapore, the the the, this, the high school that you go to, mm. 
matters a lot. Pe- pe- people bond over or even pass judgment a little bit on each other based on what school they went to. It's a bit unusual. It's not, not, not like it's not that many other countries where you name the schools and say, are oh, you from Anderson, you're from whichever, and that means something. And uh, I, I was struck also by, by the number of times you used the word wealth in, 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 in the last few minutes, actually. And so as a, obviously as a foreigner European here, um, I, th- th- this topic also, it, it strikes me how often it comes up, even in rituals around. So my wife is uh, Malaysian, and uh, so, I, but, so I notice it during Chinese New Year celebration. The, the topic of prosperity and wealth comes, comes very, very strongly. And I thought it was fascinating to hear your, your, your early story, how that topic wasn't really there. Like you, you, you had the family context that you took as for granted and this was normal and you were happy there. And then suddenly projected into that uh, elite school, kind of imprinted on you the, the, the fact that, no, actually, that there's a race that's going on, a race for... <laughs> it's so, horrible, isn't it? <laughs> but just, just curious then, because, you, like, how did, that, how did that influence the direction that you wanted to take in life? Like, or what, what was important? Because you talked about also your dad um, g- giving values around that, that were quite, quite different from, from that aspect, generosity and, and honesty, curiosity. It was quite, quite, quite different values from chasing achievement and, and, and money. I think my parents obviously wanted us to be, you know, academically, you know, successful. My brother's extremely intelligent. I mean, he's an oil trader, by the way. <laughs> uh, he's way more intelligent than I am. Academically, you know, he's a lot more accomplished than I am. I, I think as with all Singaporean parents, you know, there was an emphasis on doing well at school. You know, you don't run away from that. Um, and, and being in a good school means it's a lot more competitive. I never wasn't, I was never that bright, you know, so I never scored top of class and so on, you know, sort of average and then uh, below average at some point. But, you know, the notion of wealth, you know, not to dwell on it, the, the reason why I mention it is because, you know, and perhaps it's, it's true for many people growing up in Singapore during those years, right, the 1980s, 1990s. I think, I think the framework that you look at success back then was very, pretty much, you know, good job, you know, good money. Um, and so on. You know, I think in recent years we've started talking about you know well-being, yeah. personal fulfillment, mental health, mental health. <laughs> you know, um, and 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 I I think it's great. It's an evolution of a society as well. I mean, if you want to go back to Maslow hierarchy of needs, yeah. you know, it's a bit like that. And and back then the most direct path to comfort was money, right? Now, and to be fair, nobody was struggling. I mean, nobody was picking off vegetables off the streets. It wasn't anything like that. But, but everyone wanted to do well, right? And I think particularly for, for the Chinese, you know, it's always been, you know, Singapore's a migrant society, right? So many of us, whether you're Chinese or Malay, or, you know, a lot of us came here. Um, and perhaps it's, so it's ingrained in the DNA that, you know, we've got to hustle to do well. And then later on, you know, I think the concept of helping each other, helping the community sank in as well. So I think, I think not suggesting that wealth is the be-all and end-all, but if you look at, if you trace the whole... Chinese society, there is that do well and then later on, you know, do good for others and so on. And I'm beginning to see that a lot, you know, in society today as well, in a very institutionalized manner. You know, it's not the donations and charity drives, nothing as, it's a lot more sophisticated now. And and then what strikes me also is the the respect for elders, for family, for parents. The, 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 this compliment that you can get of being uh, filial, I hear that a lot. Um, so it, it, I'm just wondering whether you see that as a as a maturation or an evolution of culture and society, where may, maybe 20, 30 years ago, the focus was a lot more on um, achievement, on generating wealth for your family and others, uh, and 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 less about um, self actualization. And is 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 there now more emphasis on the uh, Oh horror! But on the individual, <laughs> is that what's happening? And and also curious, maybe to link that question to your own your own journey. Actually, mm, we could go on and on about <laughs> this. Well, you know, I I I like to bridge back to nation building, right? I mean, right. Being, being Singaporean, and I was the only Singaporean in the Fletcher class, you know, and, yeah. and it was a, it was always called upon to share that 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 whole nation building journey. I think I think collectively as a as a country. Whether you see it as you know innate because of a migrant society makeup, or external because of uh, the way the government, you know, sort of tries to share certain values, 
there was this focus on building the nation, coming together and so on. So everyone, I mean, my parents, my parents' parents, you know, sort of thought, okay, we've got to come together and make sure Singapore survives. Not, not, we're, we're not even talking about succeed. We're just talking about survival. Yeah. And I think that, 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 that turn in the corner, as you mentioned, comes when, you know, you suddenly move from survival mode to, hey, we're succeeding. And we're not just surviving now. You know, we're succeeding. Now what? You know, do we succeed even more? <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's never ending, right? Um, and and if, you, if you mirror that to the individual in Singapore, you know, I, perhaps it's the same conversation, right? I think for me, you know, growing up in, in that sort of environment, you know, I think my parents, it, it was a typical path. Get a good job, you know, get a career, you know, buy a HDB apartment that's public housing for those who are not here. And then when you've done all that, you know, just as when Singapore has, a, has achieved certain things and then we now start to think about what else, right? I mean, survival is, 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 is not taken for granted, to be fair. But then, you know, what more is there, you know, after you tick certain boxes? And, and for me, in a way, that's what happened, right? I mean, I don't suggest I've achieved everything. But, you know, moving from survival mode, well, I, it, it, it's not as serious as it sounds. I mean, moving from sort of, you know, career building to, to then realizing, okay, you know, to be absolutely materialistic about things. I've bought my apartment. I've bought my 911. I've, you know, had this and that. I'm still unhappy. But right. That's a big word. <laughs> and it sounds horrific because there are people who are suffering right now and I, I, I fully appreciate that. Um, but what I mean is you find yourself wondering... And it's a very common thing, I guess, a lot of, among a lot of people. You find yourself wondering, um, you know, why am I not feeling happy? Right? I've got a big job, you know, good pay. I've got prestige. You know, I've got a nice title. You know, doors open for me. Why am I not happy? Reading in between the lines, you, you, you're looking back on a successful um, career, a su successful um achievement of a number of these markers that you set out that, that were that were given to you as what what would lead you potentially to fulfillment in some way and then you you talk about the moment where you realize that, um, that something was missing in this short summary of I, I guess maybe 20 years of work experience I mean a lot must have happened as, as well right so d did you have did you have a, a vision actually when you were like 18, 19, 20 and was it about wealth or was it about, you, you talked about prestige, about um, uh, looking, looking for, for, for well-known organizations. Um, just, just curious. Cause it sounds like something major changed maybe recently in two, three, four years ago. Uh, just curious to, if you could unpack that a little bit, uh, were there milestones or events, transformative moments that, that... I, I work with a lot of founders and, and, and a lot of them, you know, that's what I call sort of you know, a retroactive, retroactive epiphany <laughs> where, where, where they kind of have a founding story. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing for, for VCs to hear because, you know, they sort of talk about how they had epiphany then and then they decided to build this and all that. It wasn't as, it was nothing as sexy for me. I, I don't imagine, I don't think it was one moment that, that, that made me sit up and realize. I think it was just, I think, I think first of all, the, 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 it's two opposing forces, right? I think the first is really this, this build up of uh, what you call achievements, but, but for, for me, looking back, there were stresses, right? This build up of, you know, I just kept getting more and more. And then, and, and, and that was continuing. And then on the other hand, the, the opposing force was this, this constant, uh, emptiness is such a cringy word, but it's this whole, you know, hey, it's not quite right. You know, I'm not. It's not quite what I want, and I think it all came to a point where you, it, it actually takes an impact, uh, affects your physical health. Yeah. Right. You find yourself actually constantly tired or constantly anxious. You know, constantly um, feeling unsafe. Mm. You know, and I think that was when I, I started sort of realizing, hey, something's not quite right. Um, if you think about it, whether it's material achievements or career achievements, you're always being marked by someone else, right? When we're in, in, in when we're working, you do you have a performance assessment every year, and the grading you get determines your 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 bonus, your pay increments, your your grade next year, your promotion. 
And and so initially, you know, I, I pursued that, right? I, I, I joined as an executive. I want to be manager. I want to be senior manager, VP, and then you know, and so on and so forth. So you you climb that, and then accompanying that is also okay. I've got I've got this title now. I've got this money now. I want to buy stuff, right? So you buy first car, the second car, you know, and, and so on and so forth. But then there's this constant underlying, I guess I guess thing that you have to remember, which is, you know, these are what people are sort of assessing you and, and grading you. Yeah, it's not, it's a logic that's imposed from outside. In a way. Yeah, your, I, yeah. And, 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 and I guess it got to the point where, you know, one fine day, I kind of realized I didn't, I didn't want that. I mean, I don't want to sound entitled or, or unrealistic, you know, I mean, even as a, as a business owner or an investor, you are always being evaluated. But I guess, you know, within that, that, that corporate, you know, structure, a lot of things come along with that, with the evaluation. You know, you you fall into that entire vortex. Um, it's a great ride. It's amazing. It's exhilarating. I loved it until until I didn't. Yeah. Right. And 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 you know, you talk about a turning point. I think I think it got you know after. Let's see. My first job was three years. My second job was two years. My third job was eight years. So I guess like 15, 16 years or so. Wow. Wow. And and then you kind of, it got to a point where you know. I do. There was one time I missed my own birthday party. It was hilarious. Everyone is my was in my house, and then I was in, in the office. Because you were wow, you were okay. And and I was I was, you know, everything was about work achievements. I I wanted to impress. I wanted to, you know, not let anyone think that I was any less than capable. Um, and and I think I think, I left as someone once told me. I left bodies in in the wake. You know, as I <laughs> as I as I climbed. Um, and I think it got, it got to that, a point. That means like uh, it means there were certain behaviors on your side. You you, you talk about kind of pop competition in the office place and 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 competition. I guess I guess you know I I I had an you know I was young. I was fairly arrogant. You know I, I and you were just to fill the blank for our listeners. You were in the in the in the investment banking or PE space and well, I was in an investment space. Yeah, let's put yeah, it this way. Yeah, uh, you know. You know, and, and bear in mind, you know, I, I was my late twenties, and 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 I was, you know, I think from a, if you uh, if you view it from a corporate point of view, I think I, I I did very well, right? But but from a personal growth point of view, I think they had a lot more that I needed to 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 do to mature. So you realize that corporate results does not equate, you know, sort of your personal well being, your relationships, and so on, being just as well, because nobody scores your personal relationships. You know, everyone scores your corporate performance, but sort of that relationship a conversation is a bit more, you know, amorphous, right? So it got to the point where I think, you know, it was summer actually, one fine day. And then it was soon after, about two, three years after I completed my master's. And I, and I, it just came to a hit where, you know, I had a personal loss. I, 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 I was bored at work. <laughs> uh, literally, I was looking for new things to do, you know, and, and I was just unhappy. And, you know, it just got to the point where, okay, I think if not now, then I'll, I'll, I'll never make a change. Mm. And it was scary because you're making a change where you were defined by your position. You were defined by your name card. And that change meant you are no longer defined by anything bigger than you. So what do you do? Right? Um, and it's been seven years since I walked, uh, I took this path. And I think... I can I can honestly say I'm happy. I'm happier now than than before. I'm I'm trying to connect a few a few dots there, um, and also I, I can't um, stop or help but uh, reflect also on my own background because there's a lot of what you're saying which echoes things that have been going on for me. And I, I don't think in my case it was so much about wealth. I think education and having a, a good job mattered a lot. I think that the, the, the running thread to my own path had to do with exploring the world. I've absolutely always been passionate about traveling, living abroad, and seeing how people live in different countries. And I, I used my career in, in big energy to have opportunities like that. And it's only more recently that I, I'm face to face with that. That's a, that's an, an interesting vision. But where where am I in this? Like, what do I do within it? 
Um, and, and that's a reflection that's going on and that's been accelerated by having uh, kids, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you talked about that journey of yours starting about seven years ago when you felt there was a, a, a big piece m missing, that you'd been almost following um, a logic that wasn't your, your own. And now both you and I are, are thinking about what, what do we, what, how do we help our own kids Mm. navigates a world where you, you, you need to go out there, you, you, you need to be engaged with it, but you also need, need to do things, you, you need to know yourself actually as well. And also we, we, we had an exchange before, before we started recording where part of the reason why you're doing this is to also inspire others. And so I'm just wondering if you had a message to the um, 18, 19, 20-year-old you um, <laughs> What what would have helped, or if if anything, actually? You know, a quick story about traveling. Before I go further into <laughs> your question, you know, you worked for a big energy and you got to travel the world and you explored. And I envy you for that because you had the presence of mind to know what you wanted to achieve for yourself, even as you you know climbed the corporate ladder, right? When I traveled a lot for my work, my favorite activity. And I've been to all the capital cities of the world, right? I've traveled a lot, you know. My favorite activity was to sit in my room, order room service, and I watch CNN. <laughs> and that was my cocoon, and I was so comfortable. It doesn't matter whether it was London, New York, Beijing, Shanghai. Uh, at one point, I was in Santiago, you know, Chile. And and I did that. And and looking back, it was so silly because, you know, I had, I, you know, I have friends now who travel for work and they really live life. They take opportunity to go see the museums and explore the paths and, and so on. And I didn't. I mean, I don't suggest I didn't enjoy myself, but I think I was so focused, so anxious, so work-centric that you forget, hey, you know, I have the privilege of being here. Um, why am I not doing more? I mean, if, if everything was just a hotel room, I, I, you know, it's such a waste, right? But that's just, you know, a little regret that I have and I, I try to make it up since then. Um... So we spoke about, you know, we talk, talking about kids. Uh, <laughs> so my, my boy is two years, eight months, already a skilled negotiator. <laughs> Amazing, you know, how kids are like nowadays. I don't remember being anywhere near as articulate before I turned three. I would say, you know, I'm trying to help my child not be a good employee. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, two decades ago, people parents would probably say, you know, go to school, get a good degree, make sure so that you can get a good job. I don't suggest that that's, that's bad, but I think, you know, for my child, I think the skills I want him to have, you know, I want him to have good judgment. I want him to have good analytical skills. You know, I want him to be able to, to negotiate, to read the room. I think this, these skills are extremely transferable. Do I want him to be good at math? Do I want him to be good at, you know, a backers and or coding and, and all these things? I think it's great if he can, but I'm not even sure myself what the economy, the economy you know, two, two decades later would look like. You know, I, 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 I rather overweigh on, 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 you know, cultivating things like that, judgment, perception, you know, decision-making, uh, and I, I tell my wife this and she gets irritated. That's it. And you know, I'll be very worried if the feedback from the teacher is, oh, uh, you know, he's extremely well-behaved. He listens to <laughs> everything we say. He does everything we tell him to. You know, he's obe obedient. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be extremely happy with that. Yeah. And to be fair, it's it's to do with with also how the global economy and technology have shifted, right? And and, and it's enabled a lot of things. It's enabled a lot of people to aspire to a lot of different things. It's no longer, you know, getting a job in a big corporation. To, to me, what, one area I'm really grappling with is like I remember one message my parents always told me is that what, what what they really cared about is is that I was happy, actually. Uh, but the the message I got was there are constraints. Like I I need to earn a living. Yeah, education is important unless I'm some kind of genius that can just out of out of my my head like come up with amazing things. But it, it really helps to have a degree. There's this tension between um, abnegation, as in you put aside your your own wishes, your own energy, and all of that because 
there's a big element of effort that's required to, 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 to study, to pass exams, to be competitive. Um, but then there's also the dimension of like, but then how do you know what you, what you, what you want actually? What, 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 is, what is giving you energy? What is, how do you make choices that inspire you? So I'm really curious because your story, I find it really fascinating that you were so many years in this corporate logic, uh, logic of achievements, logic of making money, buying cars and all of that. And there was this turning point where at some point you started more f following your instinct, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated by, there's this um, Dra Dragon's Den guy in the UK called Steve Bartlett. He, ha he has a podcast, actually, the, D the Diary of CEO. He talks a lot about how his logic was always just follow his gut, follow his instinct. And he, 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 he became a very successful entrepreneur. And then at some point he realized he had no passion for it. And he immediately let it go. He literally walked off and started something else. And of course, it had massive damage around him. There was all kinds of disasters out of that. But that's been a bit his compass, is, which has made him also as successful as, as he is. And so to me, it's a, always a dilemma. Uh, and I'd love to then go to ask you for, for what are some of your practices actually today. But like, how, how do you balance the, the, the need to, to, to make an effort and put aside um, your wishes, if you like? But then how do you also tap into your essence, tap into, like, hear your little guidance voice inside you, if you like. So we, we talked a bit about mental health, mm. about happiness, and it, it sounds like today you're much more, you, I look at you sitting there in your simple t-shirt and very casual, and you smile a lot. So just curious, like, what, what do you do to be grounded and, like, what comes first? Is it effort or is it intuition? It takes a lot of effort to relax, <laughs> ironically. You know, the point about instinct, I don't think I was ever the perfect consummate corporate person. Yeah, I relied on instincts. I was always the, 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 the sort of odd one out in, in the room. I think it got me to a certain point. Um, I, I think I was able to harness it well and then navigate you know, situations well, despite driven by the instinct to be different. Yeah, That person that would pipe up and say, I don't think that works, you know, when everybody else is like, I just want to get this going and then close it. So harnessing that energy, that instinct, that maverick DNA, well, I think got me to a certain place. But then, you know, perhaps take, if I wanted to continue, then you can't do it do it that way anymore. You, 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 you have to change the way you play your, your cards, right? And I think for me, one of the more memorable it's a feeling. It, it wasn't. It's an experience, but it's also a feeling. When when I made that decision to say, you know, I want to do other things. You know, I don't want to. You know, I, I want to make a change. People come to you for three things, and I always I always think that capital, capabilities, and connections. Okay, the three C's. <laughs> right. Um, and I realized, you know, for the bulk of my career, that's what people wanted me for. Obviously, in the early stage of your career, it's capabilities, and then it becomes connections. And then, you know, if you if you are fortunate enough to make some money, it becomes capital. And when I made a switch, you then see people drop out from your life. <laughs> and then you think back, okay, because you don't have capital, you don't have you don't have capabilities that they can harness anymore, and, and you certainly are not connected. But there are people who stay, and then there are new new connections you make, and, and then you form your new ecosystem uh, while retaining what's good from the old ecosystem. And then you go on with life and you build it that way. You know, I, I, I began this response by saying it's, it's a lot of work to relax. And it's true because, I mean, inherently I'm always anxious. And you ask me, okay, how do I navigate these things on a daily basis and, and calm myself down and relax? I think friends keep me very grounded. My wife keeps me very grounded. Uh, now that I have a child, you know, it's cliche, but, you know, the child keeps me grounded, keeps me, reminds me of what's important. But, you know, I think I started working out, you know, in the early days, I worked out because oh, of vanity, right? And, 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 and everyone was joining a nice gym and you just wanted to do that. And I was in my early 20s and now I'm 42. So it's a long time. Right? Um, but today I, 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 you know, I go to the gym twice a week and, and you know, it's, it's I, sometimes I hate it. But you know, I I've got, I work with a trainer and and it's it's a ritual for me. It's it's a nice ritual for me. It's a, you know because when you don't have a nine to six job, 
when you have you know three offices to choose where to go to choose to go into and and or not if you don't have a ritual if you don't have something you do regularly then then you become very lost mm. you know? and so i go to the gym twice a week i meet up with friends you know regularly every week i have a lunch date with the wife every friday and then we both get a bit drunk and either and then we go shopping and then and then we pick up the kid. I acknowledge that I'm fortunate and privileged to be able to to insert these little things. I I was never able to do the mindfulness, yeah, you know, bit where people say end of the day, you know, sit down and and be mindful. My wife bought me coloring books, you know, to try and calm me down and focus. Those things didn't work. You mentioned how your wife keeps you grounded, and I, I was amazed by you just mentioned that she offered you coloring books. <laughs> <laughs> so it. It sounds like there's a, a common journey that you, the two of you are together. Dare I ask, did she uh, spot that you, you needed calming down? Is that, is that... Oh, always, of course. <laughs> um, we counterbalance each other. I think my wife is an extremely rational, calm person. She's always encouraging. And she, strangely, she be- <laughs> the irony is that she believes in me a lot more than I believe in myself. And she would roll her eyes and, and say, I, I don't understand why you are so worried. Like you've you've done this fifteen thousand times, like you know I still get nervous before I walk into a meeting sometimes. And she was like, "Dude," she would then remind me of what I've already achieved, and 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 so what if it doesn't work out? Yes. And that's a big that's a great, that's a big thing to hear. So what if it doesn't work out? So reading in between the lines is this uh, dimension of anxiety that that is there still still today. It sounds sounds like, and there's something that you're. I love it. It's my superpower. To, to be anxious? <laughs> Insecurity is my superpower. <laughs> Interesting. I'd like to ask the question again about if you, if you could speak to your 18 or 20-year-old self. And of course, I'm thinking in a way that might be applicable to, to, to younger um, people listening to, to, to you today, actually. What, 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 what type of advice or what, what, would you t- what would you tell yourself, actually? Not to answer a question with a question, <laughs> but you know, I've, you know, people talk about would you do anything differently? Yeah. And when I think back, you know, I don't think I would have done anything differently. Even the mistakes that I've made, the most horrific, impactful mistakes that I made, I don't think I would have done anything differently. Advice to my younger self, if I think about what has been most helpful to me, for me, all these years, relationships matter. Yeah. Relationships yeah. matter. Make... Make, making friends it's a sounds very trite but i think i think you know i i would i would remind my younger self of the importance of forming you know good relationships you know i think my the mentors i've met throughout my career have been incredibly helpful you know even today i think what i managed to build it's a result of my my last you know it's partly a result of my last employer you know and and the people there who continue to support me and and they have no need to do that, right? If you think about it, yeah. I'm I'm out of the system, right? In in that sense, right? Um, but then again, I'm not because I'm 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 still working within with them. My very first boss, it's someone that I I still keep in touch with, and I remember the things that he taught me. I'm very good friends with my second boss, you know, in my second job. You know, I think people have been have been the most instrumental um, kicker to my to, to 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 how I've built things today. Yeah, so an encouragement to to when you're in your late teens, early twenties, to really nurture relationships. This is a message I got as well when I was at university from somebody who was a little older. He said the university environment or these early kind of early adulthood are the one of the only times where you mingle with very large number of people that you see over and over again. So it's 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 an environment that is unique because it's only when you run into each other many many times that relationships are actually formed and as soon as you go into the workplace and beyond actually you 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 have almost no occasion to make such connections that deepen and last for for life absolutely you know my business partner one of my business partners is someone i met when i we were 17 in school yeah yeah. you know and 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 now we're working together you know where we are here where we are at today this office you know the 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 founder um, was my secondary school classmate i spent you know, my last job, my last corporate job, I spent eight years there. I joined at 28 and I left in my mid-30s. The friends I made there, you know, that was the most formative period of my career. And the people you make there, 
the friends you make there are, are not just are not just friends, you know, but they are also professionally, you know, people you learn from, people you can work with. You know, from my reservists, my army days, I've met a couple of very good friends that, that like as I said, kept me grounded. So I think at different stages of your life, you do retain relationships that become very important for you later on. At 42 today, when I look back, you know, I have a dinner next week that I'm hosting, putting together the guest list, right? And I was thinking, wow, actually, these are people from different stages of my life that are now still working with me. You know, one of them is my accountant, the other one is my client, you know, two of them are my business partners, my co-investors, my, my former boss, who's now my mentor, and, and, and everyone is coming together. And, you know, that table to me represents, you know, I don't think where I am today is because I'm intelligent or I'm, I'm, I'm extremely hardworking, but I think it's because I've had the good fortune and, and privilege of knowing people who are willing, who are generous with their time, who are authentic with, with, with their interactions with you. Of course, there are tons of people that are not. Yeah, and then you, you say yes. <laughs> and you figure out how to how to work with them still and how to interact with them still, right? Professional relationships are often difficult to navigate, whether as a service provider or a, a in-house person climbing, you know, the corporate ranks, right? Um, but if you do it well, you know, you can transform them into to to I guess you know, friendships for life. This at the back of my head, there's this question about culture that comes in as well that I, I, I wanted to to, uh, to touch on because the, the context that we talk about uh, there's an element of own agency and choice and learning and growth but it's also inserted in, in a in a set of norms and beliefs that are very very unique um, and we talked a little bit about this earlier in the conversation around Chinese culture or Confucianism and I'm just curious to hear your, your thoughts about that because you, you're evolving also in an international context and context of investments, context which is much more Western and rational. So how do you reflect maybe on some of the, the strengths, the uniqueness, or maybe even the drawbacks as well of, of, um, of a Confucian environment? And how do you, how do you find your own, your, your own peace in a way with, with that, that kind of cultural background where I'd say the individual maybe plays less of a central role than com compared to the, the the Western one? People don't engage with you if you don't bring anything to the table. <laughs> That's quite harsh. <laughs> and, and, and when I... When I uh, it doesn't have to be material things or... or, or... My point is, I, 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 think, I think we were not born to be alone. But yet, when you interact with people, you've got to do your part and the other party has to do his part, right? So if you look at... Descartes, right, or you know, Western philosophy, and and they talk about individual, you know, rationality and and the scientific method and absolute logic, you know, trumps everything else. The way I I sort of resolve that with you know I guess the collective culture for con con Confucianism and 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 sort of you know family, you know, self family country and 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 you know values like filial piety and all that is that if you f if if you can't manage yourself first then you can't be a useful part of society, right? So, so that's how I see the two concepts marry each other. Just saying, oh, you know, um, let's let sort of, you know, the importance of social harmony and, and being a part of a whole and play your part and all that, that's, that's pointless if as an individual, you bring nothing to the table, right? And it sounds absolutely atrocious when I put it this way, but if you think about it, if as an individual, you, have, you are rational, you have, to, you, you, you are, you are, you have logic, and you you create value through that approach, then you know within a society you have a part to play. I think it's, in bringing something to the table, it, somehow it triggers me when you say that. I think it's I, I don't know if it's related or not, but I've, I've I've always had this belief that I must bring something smart and unique in order to be accepted by others or by the group, and it's only more recently that I realized that just by my presence, my listening, my giving space or holding space for others, that that, that is also valuable in a way. So I'm, I'm just, there's something that tugs at me a little bit when you talk about this transactional approach, like you, you need to bring in something. It's amazing, is it? I mean, when I say that, people think about capital, yeah. capabilities and, and connections, connections right? <laughs> But it's 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 more than that as well, mm. right? Uh, your point about holding space, being there, your presence, and that's what I mean. When you bring something to the table, 
um, it all it always starts with one of the three in that sense. You know, when 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 we work, but can it evolve into something else? But you see, the responsibility is also on the other party. Yeah. To to tell you it's okay not to bring anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's uh, all, all, all what they think is nothing. But but no, it's okay to be yourself. It's you know, there's no agenda, and that's what I mean about sort of you know it takes. You know, we all have to do our part. Sitting here with you having this conversation, you would have given me the assurance that I can be safe in this space, right? And and there's no agenda. And I would have given you the assurance that, you know, I'm I'm I'll do my part. I'm happy to interact and and so on. So there is an implicit social contract. Sometimes it's built on chemistry. Yeah. People feel comfortable. Sometimes it's carefully curated and worked out. That works as well. You know, with my friends, uh, my very close friends. Ultimately, it's, it's, you know, we are all valuable to each other, whether it's for work, you know, I need help, I need a referral, whether it's for emotional comfort, you know, something you know, bad has happened, I'm there for you, whether it's, it's sometimes it's very practical things. I, my point is, we, we <laughs> it sounds horrible, but we are all useful. Yeah. We're all useful people. And I don't define it in the corporate sense anymore. We're all useful people in the sense that we all can bring value to someone else. And if you know how to harness that, if you if you work along those principles that you are willing to contribute as much as you're happy to take, to me, that's how you blend that whole, you know, individual and rationality with, you know, I'm part of a collective, right? I, there's no point being a collective of lemmings. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but if you have a collective of people each bring something to the table, you know, each having their own logic, I mean, it'll be a chaotic for a while, but that's beautiful. Right? That's how ventures begin. Of course, Be Useful is the, the title of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's latest book, actually, which I've just uh, finished. <laughs> I, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> which actually is uh, re really inspiring. We've had a really amazing conversation and, and, and touching on all kinds of things around self-knowledge, around direction, around um, th these pivots in your life, around wisdom to younger people, around the value of relationships. Is, th is there anything else that comes to your mind that you think we should mention right now in this conversation? Anything unsaid that is still, still, still on your mind? I don't want to give the impression that I've had an amazing strategy mapped out for my life and, and, and I'm here today because of that. I, I think many times things happen to you. You know, I, I'm, I'm very realistic about it. I don't, I don't think things happen to us. Things happen for us. Uh, we can make things happen often as well. But for me, I think, you know, it was a combination of, like I said, the different, the different factors, right? And, and, you know, when something happens, you, you, you then just have to respond to it. And then you make a decision there and then, and then you the branch, the pathway sort of forks, right? And you sort of make make one of two choices. It's like the poem, right? You know, the path less taken and all that. So looking back, you know, I I don't think it was a I had an epiphany at 19 and I decided to do this. I think I was pursuing things, I was happy to a certain extent. And then as things happen, you make decisions, little emotions pile up in you, and then you just learn to make the best of it. I tell people who come to me and say, do I take up this offer or that offer? And I say, there are no wrong decisions because I believe whatever decision you make, you will make the best out of it. And if it doesn't work out, it's fine because, you know, you've done your best. Similarly for us, you know, the journey that we take, I think it would be naive to sit here and say 20 years later, I want to be there. And then you work towards that. I think directionally, you can have that goal, but you have to be prepared for life happening to you. Yeah. Uh, I never thought I'll have a child. You know, my wife and I were happy traveling the world, you know, and then, you know, COVID happened and then, you know. <laughs> You're locked in and then what, what else to do? <laughs> you know, my, you know, the, the greatest love of my life appeared, you know, again. Um, so I think we have to be prepared for surprises. We have to be prepared for life happening to you. It doesn't mean you're not in control. It doesn't mean you're weak. But I, I always think how you respond to things is a lot more important than how you plan for it. Two months ago, a senior ex-colleague of mine asked me, thinking back, do you think it was a good decision for you to leave? Right? You, know, you would have been MD now. And she said, but you might have been a bit bored. <laughs> and I said, I don't know if it's a good decision, but I think I made the best out of it. And then the two of us just sort of paused there because we realized that's it, isn't it? That, that's really it. It's, it's making the best of what life throws at you. It's been a re really amazing conversation, Jeff, and 
we have this little tradition in the podcast to wrap up with three uh, quick, quick fire questions. So one is anything you've read recently that's inspired you? <laughs> I have a very bad habit of reading like several books at one time. I, it's, it's an ADHD you know, anxiety thing. A very good friend of mine, Wong Chun Han, he's a Wall Street Journal uh, journalist, uh, wrote, some, wrote a book called Party of One. It's amazing. It discusses, uh, you know, President Xi and China. And I think it's a fascinating deep dive into, into that aspect of politics. I, I have an indulgence for, you know, silly little thrillers. So Preston and Charles, latest book, Cabinet of Dr. Ling. It's, it's one of those little mystery thrillers that I love. I just finished it. And I am really trying to embrace Stoicism. Right. You know, um, it's not easy for me, but I think it's helpful, you know, sometimes to be reminded of things. So, you know, Ryan Holiday can be a bit cliched, but I think his books are good little reminders. So I'm, I'm finishing, you know, Discipline is Destiny. So these are the three books that right now I'm kind of, you know, well, I guess in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we talked about it already, but like a habit, a ritual or, or a hack that's improved your life. I think I think really working out. I hate to say it, but but you know because I I didn't think it was such a big deal. But but I've been thinking about this question when you asked me, and I think I think really going to the gym. That's the that's been the constant in my life. And then lastly, a, a place with special significance. Again, you know, when this question came, I was thinking, should I say something romantic where you know I was with my wife and so on? And I thought, to be honest, I did. <laughs> It's a very personal thing. It's just all me because she was there, but she wasn't there right next to me. It's a little town called Fiesole. It's sort of, you know, just five kilometers from Florence up on a hill. And it's a monastery, the Monastery of St. Francis. And I was, when I was visiting, it was drizzling. And I, 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 I sort of, you know, I have a picture here I can show you. I stood under the sort of rafters and there were raindrops falling off the rafters and... It is the only time, actually, that, that till today that I can remember where I felt serenity, absolute wow. peace and happiness. Wow. You know, you can take a look at it. Oh, wow. It's really beautiful. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's nothing it's, uh... fancy. It's, it's, it's really sort of, you know, a, a medieval monastery. Um, but, you know, it's this little rafters here. I was just standing right here. You know, With the raindrops. Yeah, taking from shelter the... from the rain and, and the sound of the rain. You know, this, this place, of course, with the, the history. Place, the yeah. history, the temperature. And I, I always say it's that place. I always I love that place. Yeah, so. That's amazing. <laughs> it grounds me in a way. <laughs> Strange, but yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff. Really, really enjoyed it. This was a really interesting uh, portrait and uh, we, we covered a lot of ground, I think. Thank you. I enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, there are a few ways you can help. Please click the follow button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also consider becoming a supporter by visiting at the coalface.buzzsprout.com. Thank you. <laughs>